0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. I don't know what to quite what to call this episode, Kieran. It's like pod, pod point two or two Pod. I don't it's Slightly different, we've got an interview for you. Because we are aware, as we said, that some of our Thursday shows have been
1: getting very
0: long. And we haven't got the attention to actually do them. Well, you've got the attention to listen to them, I don't know. But I think, Kieran, assuming that this is the second pod our lovely listeners are tuning into, they'll probably want to know how the caper situation played out with the with, uh, and Rocket Mayonnaise
2: last night. Um, I'm afraid I had to slum it and use some tartar sauce from a jar. From a jar? From a jar. That's not slumming
0: it. Tartar sauce from a little plastic packet. That's what I had with my scampion chips. Tartar sauce from a jar. Get you. Um, Yes, so we have an interview for you. It's a fascinating one, I think, and it's with uh, Mr. Ian Hine. Now, Ian Hine is an expert in football programs, as most football fans think they are. Uh, in particular Kieran he's an expert in your club's football programs which as I say I was I was very good you can hear the sound of my teeth gritting halfway through but for the most part I was very good and here is that interview for you Ian thank you so much for joining us Um, I'm a football fan of a certain age so I think I know why you love football programs so much, but tell us how your passion came about
1: um well, first of all, thanks for having me on I'm a huge fan of the pod, so uh, yeah it's a, a real honor um well like you, I'm also a man of a certain age and i I grew up with these amazing little booklets in the sixties and seventies and um as you probably know i'm a I'm a Brighton fan and my first game was in (laughs) (laughs) terribly, sorry, but uh, there we go. Um, Yeah. My dad took me to my first game in August, 1968. um, And the story behind it was that my, my godfather's brother actually played for Torquay United and they were playing Brighton and he organized tickets and we went along and, and, kind of that was it really um but i i think like most kids in the 60s i had a collecting gene in me and not just programs but i i've dabbled in stamps and train tickets and all kinds of other stuff but programs always seemed to be the thing that i came back to and as i got older you i i thought well what am i going to collect i'll just collect everything but obviously with hundreds of games happening every weekend it's pretty much impossible to to have a general collection so you've got to specialize in some shape or form and and obviously with my club allegiance i decided to specialize in brighton programs but other collectors will specialize in fa cup programs or programs from first and last games at stadiums that kind of thing yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah i've 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 always always loved them and the fact that the program is a it's a it's a unique historical artifact I mean I know that sounds a bit kind of dramatic and pompous but if you think that that's really the only physical thing that links your attendance at the game you know you've got a program it's got the manager's notes from that particular day it's got the team lineups and 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 that's particularly so of older programs because it's a social snapshot of what life was like in that particular city at any one time. So rather than the modern day programs with a a whole load of syndicated adverts from Snickers and Nike and McDonald's, etc., you had... The adverts for you know your local stockist of the Brooks rupture appliance, and <laughs> <for> the local <laughs> sweet shop, and the, and the, it, it, they're just fantastic, and I I, I absolutely love them.
0: It, it doesn't sound pompous at all, Ian. And, and I'm going to come on later on to what I think is the the actual social and historical importance of football programmes. Uh, I apologise for giggling uh, during part of your answer. But it's when you said I dabbled in train tickets. For a time, you, you sounded you sounded incredibly furtive. Um, two questions about that first game. Do you still have the program from that first game you went to?
1: I do. Yep, you
0: do. Well, wow.
1: yes. And um, the my best friend at the time, who I'm still in touch with now, he's he's a well, he's now a Nottingham Forest season ticket holder. Um, he also has his program from the game, complete with autographs of the well, weirdly, the Torquay players because. Obviously, with the family connection, we met him afterwards, and uh, yes, yeah, so, that, so that all these random third division mid sixties Torquay United players <laughs> <laughs> have autographed the programme. So, uh, yes, I do have it.
0: Well, that's my second question as well, and I think Kira will appreciate why I ask this: is why why didn't you end up being a Torquay fan if your if you're well, God, if your godfather's brother was playing? Why did you why did you pick that? I can't even bring myself to say the name, Ian. <laughs>
1: Well, I know that there's a lot of a lot of controversy on the pod in terms of your football allegiances and where you live and what have you. And the irony of all of this is that I was actually born in Devon and my oh, okay. my closest team to where I was born is is actually Torquay United. So and and when I was very little my dad used to take he was a rugby man. And um but it Sport was the overriding thing that umbrellaed over the whole family. So yeah. if he wasn't playing rugby, he'd take me to play more to see Torquay play. So I'm guessing by rights, I should be a Torquay United fan. But I, I think your, your football allegiance arrives on your lap in a number of different ways. And, and I think as a an, an eight-year-old boy... Walking down the road to the Goldstone Ground, up the steps into the West Stand, and I mean, it was a, a thing of absolute beauty. Stepping out and seeing the floodlit
0: yes. greenery
1: in front of me, and and I was just hooked from then on.
0: <clears throat> it's that it's that first glance of the pitch, isn't it, that gets you? Oh, absolutely,
1: yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: Uh, it, it's strange because I've been talking to friends about this recently for various reasons, and it's uh, somebody said the, the pitch can't have been green. In those, well, yeah, when I when I first saw my game, the pitch probably wasn't green, but in my memory, it was the most green thing I'd ever seen, and that's. Absolutely. I, I I'm, I'm like you. I just remember walking up the stairs of the White House Lane yeah. and seeing yeah. the pitch, and that's it. Yeah, you know, is is the the program obsession a particularly British one Ian? I mean, or are there people in France, Australia, Brazil, also collecting the programs from that country? In a in a strange sort of way that we do, I
1: I don't think there's quite the the, the kind of passion and obsession with it that we have in this country. Um, there are some, I mean, for example, if you go to Spain, um, I mean, I've done a you know a football weekend to watch El Clasico in Barcelona, and and they just don't produce programs as we know it. it it's more a, a more generic newspaper type thing. Um, I know other countries do produce programmes, but certainly not to the, the extent that it's sort of spawned this crazy um I mean it's linked very closely to the whole groundhopper thing as well. I mean I I in a in my bid to um challenge Kieran as world's dullest man, I also do a bit of <laughs> I, I do a bit of I do a bit of proofreading and editing for the wonderful program collector Program Monthly and Football Collector magazine and and some of the the groundhopping stories from these guys who who organize their trips with military precision to take in sort of seventeen games over the course of a weekend. It's absolutely incredible, and that's obviously very closely linked to the to the program side of things, but um, no I think it's it's very much a, a British thing.
0: I I once met a chap who was very scathing about program collectors who bought programs of games they weren't at. He was he was and obviously it was a he, was convinced that you you your collection should only consist of games that you'd been to, which seemed um, a bit uh, extreme, even for well, me. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, I, personally, I think that's that's a, a bit odd. But if that's what you've decided to specialise in, then. That's, you know, that's that's fair enough. But um, for me, it's it's about the programmes of Brighton and Hove Albion home in a way. I mean, I, I don't go as much as I used to in I my don't. youth. I um, don't
0: blame you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> we've had our moments.
0: <laughs> Ian, what's the one programme you desperately want? And what's the one that you have that other collectors would kill you for?
1: Um. Well, I think in terms of the the first question, I think the I guess the the kind of holy grail for Albion program collectors is the program from when we won the Charity Shield and were justifiably crowned as champions of all England. Um, <laughs> admittedly, it was back in nineteen ten, um, but, but I was, we beat Aston I was- Villa. <laughs>
0: Sorry, I was about to say that programmes from your imagination aren't allowed, Ian, but you did actually... Oh, realize. no, this is... You did, this it is actually. Actual I know.
1: Oh, yes, it did actually happen and the programme does exist. I mean, it, it's in terms of the, the programme itself, it's a little bit disappointing because the game was played on a Monday afternoon at Stamford Bridge and Chelsea issued the programme and it's a joint programme with the game they played on the Saturday. So it was... The, oh. the, the charity shield thing was a bit of an afterthought, but um, in terms of the, the kind of seismic event that that was in our history, that would be the the, the kind of holy grail for Albion program collectors. I mean, I, I don't have it, obviously, but I have I do know a man who does have it, and I've got a scan of it on my website. Oh wow! Um, so um, I mean, that's a, that's another thing that kind of confirms my. Descent into Madness: The development of the SeagullsPrograms.co.uk website. Um, just moving, moving back quickly to the second part of your question. I think the one program I've got that I would say other collectors might want is the um, the League Cup. Started at the right at the start of the nineteen sixties, and our first home game in the competition was against Wrexham. Um, it was played on a obscure – I think it was a Wednesday afternoon and it was just a, a single sheet of paper folded in half. Um, and I, I do have that. And, um, yeah, that would be – that's probably the um, – and then depending on whether or not my wife is going to listen to this, I can tell you how much I paid for it.
0: But, um, <laughs> go on then. Your wife – in our experience, your wife won't be listening to this here, but go on.
1: Well, go. indeed, indeed. I – Let's say it was over £125, which kind of in the general scheme of things doesn't sound very much, but, you know, it's a lot of money for a piece of paper.
0: Yeah. And how much how much would you have to pay for the, the Charity Shield one?
1: <sighs> Crikey. I, 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 thousands. I would say. Um, I know the oldest known Brighton programme was from 1906, and I know the guy who bought that paid over £1,200 for that. Wow. Um, but I think something like the Charity Shield programme, I would say maybe three, £4,000 maybe.
0: Um, and would a, a, a programme collector who wasn't a Brighton fan pay the same amount? Of, is it, is it genuinely important or just more important to a Brighton fan?
1: Well, I think, I, I think it would be more important to a Brighton fan, but because it was only the charity shield started off being played between the winners of the Southern League and the winners of the Football League.
0: Oh, um, okay. oh yeah.
1: And it was like that for just a few seasons at the start of the, the, the charity shield journey, if you like, before it became the Football League versus the FA Cup winners. So it does have a, a rarity value from that side of things and um and obviously anyone who collects sort of cup finals and important games like that yeah it would have some value to other other collectors yeah I
0: I like the way you say Albion as well Ian somehow it it takes a curse off it for me a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I've got you won't be surprised to know I've got suitcases full of palace programs although yep. my wife Ali uh, adds adjectives to that um
1: yeah, because
0: yeah, they're taking up a lot of space. None of them, however, are complete seasons. Is that a huge issue for collectors when you try and? I was going to say palm um, them off, palm them off to people, but
1: not necessarily. Um, I think it's more about the specific games within that season. So, um, I mean, if you look at the seventy-eight, seventy-nine season when we were both promoted, you would. Probably look at in terms of Palace, the the program with the value would be the one right at the end of the season when you play Burnley and yeah, yeah, yeah. somehow managed to shoehorn fifty one thousand people into sellus <laughs> Park. Um,
2: that's
1: a, an interesting um, accounting question coming out of that, I would imagine. But so so that particular program would have the value, but a full set of programs from any. Kind of significant season, i.e., a promotion season, or, or you know, even a relegation season, would have a little bit more value. But it's it's more about the specifics within the set.
0: Yeah, I, i've I've got that program, and I've still mm. got some of the bruises from when we scored the first goal.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, it was yeah. going so well until you said the word "shoehorn," uh, and it was 50, <laughs> it was fifty three thousand in, but yeah, numbers that you can wow. dream of. Uh, we've all we, we've all <laughs> stood in our in our lives, people of our age, we've all stood or sat by the old chap who buys two yep. programmes, you know, always bought two programmes, one to write on yeah. and one to yeah. keep pristine. Are the ones with the writing on worthless?
1: Uh, I don't think so because going back to what we were talking about earlier about the social commentary aspect of it, I mean, I've got quite a few from the 60s where, you know, we had a pretty poor couple of seasons in the early 60s and I've got programs with what a load of old shit written on the front of the program after after we've been beaten 4-0 at home by Darlington or something like that and for for me that adds to the, the, the kind of social history of the the program itself yeah, some collectors will obviously strive to get mint conditioned copies of everything they buy, but for me, things like that i i mean apart from anything else, it's absolutely hilarious, but it no for me it, it adds to the value you see
0: my problem is Ian whenever i I do my weekly promise to Ali. And say right, okay, I'll sort them out today. I'll get rid of them. Don't worry, we'll, <laughs> we'll get we'll get the bar- garage back. But uh, I'm in there for hours because you know I, yeah. I'll pick up a 1973 pile, and I was yeah. I'll just go, oh yeah, I love that kit. I remember that game. Yeah. Oh, look at that picture of Don Rogers. I had that Parker. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it, it's just so distracted. Like you say, it's just the most amazing social history. How do you manage to not get distracted when you're when you're just you pick up one program and the, the day's gone?
1: Well, I don't really. And when I when I started talking or thinking about the website, I mean, I had this idea back in the, um, I think it was about two thousand eight, two thousand nine, oh, no. that I thought, well, wouldn't it be a good idea to have a digital copy of all my programs? And I thought, well how how am I gonna do that? Am I gonna take a photograph of them? So the upshot of it was that I, I I've I've decided to scan every page of all my Brighton home programs. And if I tell you that I'm still scanning now oh, really <clears throat> thirteen years later, and bearing in mind that this you know, we've had 100-page programs in the last couple of seasons, so it's um, it's a bit of a problem. But, yeah, I, you get completely, completely lost in it. It's um, it's fantastic. And I, I, I just love reading back because even things like the manager's notes, they just provide you with such feelings of nostalgia. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. It's
0: it, it's the adverts that get me. Like you say, yeah. Especially some of the older ones, where all the adverts are for cigarettes or tobacco. Yes, yeah. <coughs> which apparently were very and, good for you.
1: And <coughs> endorsed by the, the the players of the day.
0: <coughs> yeah, it's um,
1: <coughs> it,
0: it's just fascinating. When when Kieran uh, at the end of one of our pods uh, two weeks ago, <coughs> excuse me, we'd finished recording, and Kieran said that you'd agreed to come on. And Kieran and I just had—it's probably a half an hour chat. which started talking about uh, programs that remembered, and it, it was just amazing. And I—I I remember being really excited. I think it was Derby in the early eighties. I remember turning up away at Derby, and they had an A4 program that looked yep. like a newspaper. And we—we we probably talked about that for two weeks. It was just like the most amazing radical thing and it's it, Absolutely. it's it's the same for you I imagine I think Villa had one as well so it's yeah, they it, did
1: Pompey also had a A4 in the in the 70s and and some clubs actually went I mean Derby were one of them uh, I think Notts County Northampton actually went to full-on tabloid newspapers <laughs> and i mean obviously you know how on earth i mean you talked about that old man sitting next to you who buys two programs i am that man
0: <laughs>
1: and, <laughs> and and if you've got a bloody newspaper that you've got to try and keep crease free i mean dear idea.
0: Oh, dear yeah and also because i think jimmy hill famously commentary were the first all-color program is that right
1: it, it was yeah i i Followed closely by Bournemouth And I think that, that was quite an important period For, for programmes Because in the mid-1960s The, the programme had become a little bit I mean obviously you still had The the, the local adverts Which provided a bit of content But programme clubs were becoming A little bit lazy I think And just thought oh well We just need to bash this out And it's no problem But Jimmy Hill Decided that No we we can do more and he, his program at Coventry was the first um, what we would now describe as a match day magazine. I mean, they had the the sky blue girl of the match as well. Yeah, I mean, it's very politically incorrect, but you know these these lovely ladies in their sort of polyester jumpsuits on the back cover of the program, and it but it, it was fantastic. And and I think when you you know we we've we've talked with such passion and enthusiasm about the the fact that these programs are such a, a great memento of of our first game or any game I think to where we are now in terms of the the digital side of things and and what the future holds for programs and and i, I you know it does it does concern me, but you know we have to we have to preserve these amazing things. I mean, for example, I can't see the repair shop taking huh. too many non-fungible tokens there. to repair in, in 50 years' time, whereas a, a programme from a, a young boy's very first game will be something that they would look at. So we, we have to pre- preserve them.
0: I, I realise a lot of this uh, interview is going, will be baffling to some of our younger listeners. <laughs> And we do have them, amazingly. But do you remember, there seems to be no rhyme or reason as to when this happened. But every now and again, you'd turn up at Palace and you'd buy your programme. And in the middle of it, there was the Football League Review. It's like a Football League magazine that's just cropped up. I love the review. Are are they collectible as well? Are they worth money too?
1: the, The early ones and the later ones are they were produced in such huge numbers oh, okay. in the middle years that I mean, I've, I, I've possibly won't surprise you to know that I've got a full set of the Football League Reviews. Because <laughs> <laughs> <It, it, laughs> as a as a child in the 60s, the Football League Review was actually one of the main sources of information about football because, you know, we obviously didn't have the internet and. There were a number of magazines that were out there, but the Football League Review, the great thing about the review was that it didn't discriminate between the clubs. So you were just as likely to have information and a, an article on Manchester United as you were the, the Rochdale. And it started the, the first season when it was called Soccer Review, which was 65 66. Those are quite valuable and collectible. And then the final season, seventy four, seventy five, and it only lasted half the season. Those are quite valuable. Yeah. <clears throat> I, uh,
0: I've only got a couple, uh, and that's accidental. But I was flicking through uh, yesterday. I, it's, I just love the team pictures they have for no apparent reason. Yeah, yeah. It's just in the, in the middle. There's a picture of Blackpool in a, in a wonderful plain kit with all the players looking yeah. really surly. And old
1: yeah.
0: Uh, exactly. Before we we had a lot of listener questions, Ian. As you'd yeah. imagine, uh, quite a lot of them asking for specific valuations, which we're not going to run through. But before I ask you a, a couple of those, uh, yeah. you, you you mentioned uh, sort of niche collections. What's yeah. what's the most unusual, apart from you collecting Brighton programmes, which is weird, obviously. But what's <laughs> the what, what's the most unusual niche collection that you've heard of? The most unusual specialist collection.
1: Um I I do know of one collector who only collects friendlies and testimonials <laughs> which I I yeah, I it doesn't make too much sense but it but certainly in in the, the old days, I mean now friendlies and tes- well, my testimonials just kind of don't happen these days, do they? But um Back in the day, um, it was a, it was quite a big thing, and yeah, I, that would probably be the, the sort of slightly strangest. I mean, there are people who collect one program from every round of the FA Cup every year. Wow! Which, again, is you know a little bit niche because then you've got to go, you've got to go burrowing into the um, into the non-league world for the, the programs from the early rounds of the cup.
2: or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon.
0: Let me um, ask you some of these questions from our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The first one comes from Ross, who... Uh, I presume is in Scotland and seems yes. to support my Scottish team, uh, Hibernian. He said that Hibs have stopped doing programmes for each game have now changed to a quarterly one. So will those quarterly programmes be a lot less valuable than ones that are specific for each game? Because surely the content will often be out of date. Uh, is the cost-saving worth the loss of interest in, and the dip in purchases?
1: Um, well... Uh... <sighs> First of all, shame on you, Hibernian. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I think, in, in terms of the sort of collectability of it, I think going to a quarterly issue that dilutes the the, the link between the program and a specific game. Um, so if if Ross had taken his, you know, one of his children to their first game and, and Instead of a specific program for the game against Ross County or whatever, um, it's a quarterly magazine. Then I think it would be less would be less value valuable, um, and things like the the manager's notes, which are another particular favourite of mine. I mean, for a program for a specific game, they are specific to that game, obviously, and that would be again diluted a little bit. Um, I mean the in terms of the in terms of the cost saving. I, I mean I, that would be something for the for the club to the club to decide. But certainly um, the fact that the, the pure numbers fewer of them. Yes, they would be a bit scarce, but I, I don't think that would enhance their collectability.
0: <clears throat> you know, it, it, you mentioned manager's notes. I. Uh, a few years back for two seasons running, I did a column in the Palace programme until yeah. a, new, a new manager came in and decided that my unedited column uh, wasn't what he wanted <laughs> to read before a game. But it, I think it's probably the most proud I've ever been, the first programme that appeared with me in it. I, I've done a lot of things that I'm proud of, but I, I was just walking on air for a week. That's, it's, that's yeah. how important. I, um, Clive Steed <clears throat> has a question. And I suspect yep. Clive Steed supports the same team that you and uh, Kieran do. As Clive Steed says, do do clubs ever do a second print run after a great result? I'm thinking games like Brighton four Man United nil. That's the clue. And Brighton four Chelsea. <laughs> and Brighton four Chelsea one. He says, I know the Man United one sold out on the day, so having a second print one would make sense. I, I think that's a really interesting question. But would collectors suss out that they were a second print?
1: well I, I think I think the whole i mean it obviously would depend how the club kind of packaged it if they printed it with you know, reprint plastered across the, the cover then then obviously that would, would would be a giveaway and I think in terms of i mean I don't know of any any clubs who have specifically done that as a result of the fact that it's a, a fantastic result the The cost of a second print run would certainly be higher because they wouldn't print nearly as many, so it would it would be higher, and the club would need to um, be sure that it was going to sell out before committing to a second print run. So I think I think that would probably turn most clubs off doing that. Um, I mean, if you, for those two games in particular. I mean, the Brighton 4 Chelsea one from this season, I mean, that, that programme is still available through the club shop. And um, if you go on to a certain well-known auction site, you can certainly get hold of a copy of the United one from last season where we won 4-0. So, you know, they are out there. And, and I, I I I just, I don't think a club would consider that. But probably the the most... Um, The most famous programme in England's history, i.e. the 1966 World Cup final, that's been reprinted a number of times. And so that causes all kinds of issues for collectors in terms of how you identify that it's an original from 1966 or whether or not it's a reprint. There were two reprints done before 1970 and then another one done um, in 1999. I mean, yeah, it's... There are telltale signs for that, but um, that's probably the most famous reprint. But as far as individual clubs, no.
0: Ian uh, and Clive, I'm going to say to you what I said to Kieran. We beat Man United last nil last season. We don't bang on about it half as much as you do. (laughs) Uh, but I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned the, the finances and the cost of programmes because it, it slipped my mind for the last 28 minutes that we are a, fo- a football finance pod. Um, Super, uh, Super City, uh, I don't know why he wants to remain anonymous with a question about programmes, but Super City asked about the finances of programmes. Do, do, does advertising make programmes self sustaining? And if so, why do they cost so much? And do clubs farm production out to third-party
1: publishers? Um, Well, I think in terms of the advertising, obviously advertising is a very important. I mean, if you've got a club producing, let's say ten thousand programmes, then having it adverts have been part of programmes since the. since the beginning of, of programs themselves. So even the, the 19th century match cards had advertising on them. Um, but I think it's important to realize that the advertising plus the cover price of the program is what makes the program um, self-sustaining. So obviously that would be part of the business case that the club program editor would put together each year to justify continue with the printed program Um, it's very difficult to to be specific about this kind of thing because clubs tend to keep these kind of figures very close to their chests but certainly the advertising a combination of that and the cover price would generate enough money to justify the cost of the programs Um, in terms of farming out production to third-party publishers. I mean, that, that's happening more and more now. I mean, there are a number of big companies. I mean, one of the biggest is, um, I think, Ignition Sports Media. They they do the programmes for certainly Villa, Forest and Southampton in the Premier League and a whole stack of clubs in the Championship and League One. Um, they would assemble the content produced by the programme editor and maybe a couple of contributors. Um, the manager's notes Although I think you'd be hard pressed to find a manager who physically writes these notes these days, but
0: <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> the danger with farming it out to a, a third party is that you, you you tend to get similarities in design between the clubs that that publisher does the program for. I mean, obviously, if they if they can use a, a, the same template for two, the programs of two or three different clubs, then their costs come down um and, and you end up you know you, you I mean I, I look at the programs from Albions Away fixtures obviously and and one of the things I look for is is the variety because the 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 task that faces the program editors these days is how to make the content in the program unique because that's what people will buy it for they can get all the stats from any number of places on the internet. So it's the uniqueness of the program. And if you've got a, a third-party publishing house doing the programs, then you know the temptation is to use a whole stack of syndicated articles and what have you, and, and you end up diluting the, the uniqueness of the program. So um, I, I, I think in terms of um, how much profits programs make, I mean, I would imagine the aim is for a program to to break even, um, just justify its cost.
0: The the advert thing is is strange, Ian, isn't it? I I can't imagine in 30 years' time uh, a 45-year-old man or woman going, oh, my God, I remember O2. Wasn't that amazing? I remember Nokia. Whereas I pick up an old Palace program and I see an advert for a shirt shop in Croydon. Yeah where I yeah. bought my, my, my first school uniform. You just go, that's incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's also incredible. I think football fans don't realise how, as you say, how long advertising has been with us. I mean, the first... I mean, it's Burnley Man United from 1903, 1904, was the yeah. first... Uh, or it was the only existing football film from that age. And what in, two things that are interesting. First of all, you can see why it's called Turf Moor, because... There is a war behind the stand, but on the roof of the stand is an advert for tobacco. So it's always been there. Um, The final question from from listeners is a very interesting one, I think, Ian. It's from Martin Williamson. Uh, Martin says, is there more value in programmes from games that never took place? I have a copy of the bolton Brentford game as my son was due to be mascot. However, the match was postponed due to a player's strike. Ah as there would have been very few programmes distributed, would this increase its value? Uh, I would never sell it, though, as it has such sentimental value, he says in brackets, in case yeah. someone's listening. But it's an interesting <laughs> one, isn't it? Uh, because it th- is
1: very, very much so. And uh, the quick answer is, yes, it would be, because as with anything that's collectible, rarity provides the value. Um, and I think... You don't get it so much these days because most clubs, certainly in the Premier League, the programmes don't go to print until literally the day before the game. Um, And the main reason for postponements in the past has been bad weather and with the advent of heated pitches and you don't have the vast covered terraces these days that you don't get many games that are postponed. So you don't have the, um, you don't have the the fact that you've got 10,000 programs that what do we, what do we do with them? Well, we just put them in the pulper Um, in terms of Martin's particular one. I mean, that, that, that was postponed for a very specific reason. Um, I would imagine there would, there would have been a, a picture of his lad in the, in the program. So the combination of the rep, the, the rarity of the program plus a sentimental value to him. I mean, yes, there would be, um, there would be value in that program. Obviously, more to him because of the family link. But I mean, just as an example of of how much value postponed programs can give. Albion's game against Leeds in December nineteen eighty one. That was postponed very, very close to kickoff, and whilst they pulped most of them. I think it's around about 50 survived and the last one of those that changed hands changed hands for 2,500 quid. Wow. So there is, there is a lot of value in old postponed programs.
0: Uh, I remember a palace game. It may have been that same winter. It was a boxing day game. It was postponed. We were literally walking up Holmesdale road and we found out it was postponed. Yeah. Uh, the game was replayed, I think, in sort of March, April, and they just had the same programme. They didn't poll yeah. them, they, they kept them. So yes. the, the, yeah. game, the game took place in March and the programme was for Boxing Day. Um, I've got two more questions for you, Ian, before we okay. let you go. The, the first one is the obvious one, uh, and it's one that many people also yeah. emailed us to ask. what's What's the penny black of the football programme world?
1: Right it, I, I did it I, I have done a bit of Research into this In the past And just sort of Updated this The other day There, there are a number of There are a number of Kind of massive games In In the history of football Obviously As, as you would expect And You would think The 1923 FA Cup final yeah. um, Obviously the first one At Wembley That's valuable But The I mean, if we look at it in terms of the most expensive football program ever sold, um, there was an auction in 2013 where the FA Cup final from, I think it was 1901 when Tottenham beat Sheffield United, that was sold for £15,000.
0: My goodness.
1: But then later in that same auction, the program for the 1882 Cup final came up for sale. So that was only the 10th the FA Cup final that had ever taken place between Old Etonians and Blackburn Rovers. It's a single card. All it had on it was the lineups, the 10 previous winners of the Cup. Um, it was written on. Um, the original owner had underlined six of the Old Etonians players and said those marked deserved notice. Huh. And that went for £35,250, which is an absolutely astonishing amount of money for essentially a postcard.
0: Wow. Um, uh, it, it won't surprise any of our listeners uh, who understand that I have a grudge against most teams. Uh, the Old Etonians of that era I particularly dislike because of Lord Kinnaird, who was a f- dirty, fouling cheat. Uh, <laughs> Long long story as to why how I found that out. Um, so if you had the, the 1923 Cup final, if you yep. had one with the hoof print of the white horse on it, oh that's, my goodness. that would be worth a lot of money, wouldn't it? I'm just thinking about it faking would, one. Yeah. Um, our final question, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, it's not so much a question, it's more of a, a statement of intent. A, a lot of our listeners got in touch with us, not with a question, but to express dismay at something you spoke about the increasing digitalization of programs yeah. which financially and commercially probably makes sense is is the printed program doomed ian and what do we lose if it is
1: if if i answer the second part of that question first i think what we lose is that that link between the person and the game. So, my going back to my first game in on the twenty eighth of August, nineteen sixty eight. I've got a physical, tangible yeah. reminder of that game, which I can look at any time. Pick it up, open it, look at the, the program notes, and see my Godfather's brother's name on the team sheet. It, it's a physical reminder. I mean, I, I, I mentioned earlier a slightly flippant remark about, you know, how many non-fungible tokens will be presented to the repair shop in 50 years time. But, you know, that, that's what we're, that's what we're looking at now. I want my, my I've got a 21 year old son and his first game, he was six weeks old (laughs) underneath my coat and I've obviously got the program for that game and, and he'll be able to look look at that yeah. for the rest of his life. And that for me is we we just cannot afford to lose that. I understand we live in a digital world. I mean and and you know there's a certain irony is that I've spent the last twelve years of my life digitizing my program collection and and, and I am aware of the, the the slight irony in that but but I've done that to almost preserve the physicality of it all and for me it's so so important that we continue the the cult of the printed program if you like um and and part of that it's not only at the top of the game but it's also going down the pyramid as well i mean there's a hugely thriving um non-league program world and the the sort of sixteen seventeen year old lads who put together the program for you know Dulwich Hamlet and teams like that they're the future program editors and without that experience of producing printed programs how are they going to develop as as football journalists I mean I you know I I feel so passionately about this Kevin it's I, and I, and I understand it, it. goes against everything we're 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 living now in terms of the digital world. But it, it is vital that we preserve these historical artifacts because that's that's exactly what they are.
0: I uh, I, I suspect that ninety five ninety nine percent of our listeners will agree with you, as Kieran and I certainly do. I had this conversation last year with somebody at Palace. It basically, was saying, "Oh, come on, granddad! it's you know, they're just pieces of paper." But I just pointed out. I said, "You know, I, I've not seen a program for the first Palace game, whether it was in 1905 or 1862, <laughs> as Steve as Parrish claims." But the, the pro I've seen pictures of programs, and they've and I said, "Look, there's a picture on the front of that early program of the Crystal Palace, and if you yeah. look at the program for our last game, there's a picture of the Crystal Palace." And That's what's yeah. important. That's that's why they're yeah. important. It, it's our it's our history. It's our continuity. It's the same with well, not with you because you you know changed your nickname and you you managed to copy us. But you know what I mean. It's it's that it's that link with the past, and it is important. It is important for for our heritage, for football heritage, because increasingly, especially working class history is shrinking, basically, and completely
1: yeah. for a,
0: for a lot of us. The history of our football club, the badge, the nickname, the kit, it is a link to the past. It's a link to you know, it's a link to the people who found, founded your club. It's a link to the Glaziers that moved the Crystal Palace from Hyde Park to Penge and started the football club. And it is important. It's really important. And also, it really is. It, it's also it's just fun. It's just fun to lose yourself. Yeah. For for three hours on a cold winter's afternoon, when you say. Ali, I'm, to, I'm getting rid of these programmes. And then you yeah. just go, ah, oh, like I said before. They're, I think yeah, they're wonderful. Browsing, think, browsing,
1: yeah. browsing through the player profiles from the early 80s. I mean, that's, that's you know,
0: they, they got through, out there. Yeah, they got through a lot of prawn cocktail and steak in those days. Oh, yes, absolutely, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Favourite
0: meal? Prawn cocktail, steak. That's Ambition? Really, yeah. Astronaut. <laughs> so, Ian, yeah. it's been um, – I, I – I, we may have stopped recording this some time ago. I don't know, but i I could talk. I could talk to you all day. It's been a pleasure Definitely. to talk to you, Ian. Uh, no, I guys. wish you, I wish you all the best. In the unlikely event that I ever come across a Brighton and Hove Albion program, you haven't got. I've now decided that the mature thing to do is not throw it away. It's to give it to you. So, uh, I would wish you well with your football club, but I I can't. But I wish you well with your. (laughs) I wish you well with the rest of your digitising. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. Bye bye now. And
1: you, Kevin. All the best. Cheers.
0: I I mean, I I found that fascinating, Kieran, because of course, like most football fans, I'm mildly obsessed. With football programmes, and I think it will be a very sad day for us all if it does go completely digital. Because for me, they are the most remarkable bits of social history, and it's as we discuss. It's not just necessarily the football stuff that gets your 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 heart racing. It's all the other stuff around it, the adverts and the the managers talking, and the just where the referees from. It's I I love them, um, and it's really interesting to hear someone who knows so much about them.
2: Absolutely, and you to say it, it, it's a slice of history. Yeah. You can go back. I, I remember the first time I went to Brighton in 1974, and I've still got the programme. We lost one nil at home to Leatherhead in the FA Cup. Chris Kelly, um, Chris, Chris, the Lip Kelly. That's the Lip, right, the Leatherhead Lip. Who, who, who of course, yeah. yeah, I remember that very well. Yeah, yeah. Uh so yeah, it's it was great and you know, Ian I I know Ian and, and he's he is he's got a huge passion, uh not not just for for what he does in terms of uh programmes for my club, but as you as you could heard from the interview, he knows the world of programmes inside out and mm. and that level of affection that you've got for a hobby, I think is is probably in a bloke, isn't it? Yeah, actually. I remember I don't know I don't know why it was on the big map. You lost
0: eight two to Bristol Rovers, was it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. War Boys and Bannister. Yes. Oh, the Deadly Jewel. Up front. And for some reason, Brian Clough was interviewed on the big match and he brought Nigel in with him, who was a little kid at the time. Yes. And It was hard to remember who was more bemused, Brian Moore or Nigel Clough. <laughs> he clearly had been dragged away from watching Thunderbirds to distract Brian Moore from asking Brian Clough about losing 8-2 to Bristol Rovers. Anyway, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that's very kind of you. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. Our next live show, as you may have heard, was due to take place at Plymouth Argyle's home park on Tuesday, the 13th of December. However, for various reasons, including the upcoming rail strikes and the fact that Plymouth will be playing at home in the Papa John's Trophy that week, we have agreed with the club to postpone the show. We're sorry about that, and we're sorry about the short notice. We'll let you know the new date as soon as it's been agreed, but it will probably be February or March of next year. We hope you can still make it. If you can't, then, of course, you'll be able to get a full refund. And as we also said, the first ever price of Football Replica shirt – Will be available to pre order from this coming Monday, December the 5th. It's a lovely shirt, uh, it says here, and I agree. It's white with a green and yellow trim and a lovely badge with Finley and smudge on it. And you can find a link to our online store, priceoffootball.com, and on our Twitter feeds. I don't think there's one on my Twitter feed, Kieran, to be perfectly honest, unless (laughs) unless you've put it there. And also you can find it in the description of this episode in your podcast app. We're only going to make as many shirts as we get orders, so please make sure you order yours as soon as the pre-sale period starts at 10 a.m. on Monday. Don't ask for it as a Christmas present. They won't be ready. We'll be doing the live show at Plymouth before the show's are ready. But they are available in adults and kids sizes, and all the profits we make will go to Gamble Aware, so it's in a good cause. And if you have a question, of course, that you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball. dot com. Kieran, I shall let you go and search for capers
2: thank you yeah i don't think we're getting it on the dragon's den with our uh approach to selling football shirts i don't right. think we are i don't think I don't. we're not getting a foot through the door there yeah yeah they're all right they're nice what are they what's your
0: product yeah, yeah it's a football shirt how many have you got we haven't got any at the moment but the and, well and what sort of what sort of order what sort of numbers are you manufacturing Ten thousand, as many as people ask for yeah there's, there's we're going through the trap door aren't we you're right
2: bye everyone the Provise Sun for Vote of Fall.
1: The Provise for Vote of